all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. <laughs> and I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> you okay there? Yeah. That just catch you off it guard? Did, it did. It <laughs> usually does. <laughs> Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. The scripts have been pouring in. Please keep them coming. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, it's been very nice to um, have some a, a well of scripts to draw from. Um, it's, uh, we're recording this on the last day of March, so March yes. 467th. <laughs> oh, you know, for how long of a month is that? It's is been that... a long month. It's been okay. a long month. Yeah. It has. Yep. A little bit. We went to Target today for, um, essentials, and that was the, hi- probably the highlight of our week. <laughs> well, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> the most interesting thing to happen, <laughs> aside from taxes and trying to figure out a new tax bill that's always fun aside from my uh be a pro career mode on uh, nhl 20 i'm i am now oh. i am now the leading scorer on the uh 19 uh, 2019 2020 new jersey devils very good in, in against other i got drafted i got drafted by the devils i didn't, I didn't get to choose Okay, against other people also playing this. No, video? just against oh. the computer. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, good for you. I don't think you can do the be a pro mode online. Oh, or maybe that would you be can. interesting. Like know. a whole well of fake players. Like at this point, that is going to be the NHL sports whatever for I, the foreseeable future. I asked John Forsland on Twitter if he I could, saw. if he could call an NHL twenty simulation game just, and I would I would watch it if he did. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> That's hockey, baby. Mm-hmm. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we're not getting loopy or nothing. No, no, not no, no. Um, or allergy ridden on on your front. Yeah, that too. Yeah, we, it was. It's been such a weird. It was a super early pollen season, and then it kind of slowed, and then it came back. It's been and, really it, weird. and it hasn't rained, so hardly any of it's washed Today away. It's Today started, it rained but, a little yeah. bit, but we need a good yeah, like pouring. Uh, yeah, or we need a, few a good days, heavy shower. Yeah, yeah. honestly, it's been <coughs> aside <coughs> aside from the pollen, it's been nice that it's been nice out for just like walks and the number of people out and about for just walks is that's certainly it's increased a lot. yes a lot a lot um just keep your dogs on a leash so they don't go jumping on other people and then you have to go fetch them and encroach on someone else's personal space just saying just not, saying not like that happened to me today or anything no. but um want want a quick little one star review corner sure so it's our it's our new favorite segment. Yes. Um so the, the top the headline of this one is narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's by someone I assume it goes by Gretchen, but all the the E's are replaced by threes. So it's Gertrichatrian. Yeah. yeah it's... <laughs> 
it's somebody it's somebody named Gretchen who is apparently 15 years old yeah. which which I didn't think there were any of those yeah Gretchen's like an old lady name it is also the name of one of the worst designers on the early days of Project Runway season 10 she won Project Runway when Mondo should have and she was speaking of narcissists yeah she was interesting how about that um so this is Gertrude Chathrian's um just Gretchen it's, Gre- it's okay yeah. it's Gretchen's message to us Trying to listen to episode 143, are you seriously wondering why listenership is down? It's is not because of Corona, as you speculated, I can assure you that. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was 143? What are we on now? Uh, this is 144, so this was just our oh, last, last episode. Week's. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I love about that is how constructive it is in that um, she clearly gives a reason why she thinks listenership is down, like prior to versus now um in other words it's not constructive in the least bit um i i'm kind of i've kind of run out of vitriol i don't know if it's i think it's kind of because i find it really sad that in the middle of an epidemic a pandemic if you will um Someone thought the most valuable thing to do with their time was leave a one-star <laughs> review on a free podcast for people who clearly don't give a shit about what anybody thinks. Um, so, Gretchen, uh, take care of your mental health, please. I'm guessing we're not the only place you've commented online. You've probably, probably said some other things that you will you may one I've, day I've, regret I've online. probably seen you on Twitter uh, supporting Joe Biden. Mm. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So, Which is also, uh, I mean, that's that's why I pretty I went onto Twitter for a little bit today because mm-hmm. there were some all bad things related conversations, yeah, mm-hmm. like Zach getting NHL twenty. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then I started to go into, and then I started to see the why won't Bernie Sanders drop? And started, I was like, nope, stop. Yeah, I'm like, this is you. just, I'm like, th- there are better things to worry about now. I I could care less. And that's kind of, I mean, that's something I've tried with not a ton <laughs> oh jesse was just sort of we have both kitties in here with us today so jesse's just like falling asleep while licking himself <laughs> um oh look at demi mm-hmm. you mean so cute okay i can see why gretchen said that yeah. <laughs> we're narcissists our cats are narcissists yes they are um that's only because they're cats the tiger king is a narcissist yes everyone's watching the tiger king but at any rate um with varying degrees of success, I have, like, stayed off social media at points. And, you know, like, you turn into a better person when you're off of it. I think so. But then you forget, like, that as soon as you get back into it. It's like you get sucked into the vortex. So, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's all the meditation. I don't have as much drive to drag Gretchen as I probably would have a couple weeks ago. Sure. Hmm. We live in a different world yeah. than we did a couple weeks lucky, ago. Lucky for you, Gretchen, with the threes. Gertrude <laughs> Chitrian. <laughs> I just I think it's fun to say. Speaking of listener scripts, mm-hmm. we have a yes. good one today. We have... Well, a, we always have good ones. We always do. But Absolutely. We, but we do not always get scripts from actual uh, published authors. authors. Published authors, but exactly. that's what we have today. We do. We do. So our good friend and very loyal listener, Lee Hutch, um, professor, 
Mm -hmm. And also, as we said, published author who is... um, Who just finished his second book. He did. But I don't think it's released yet. I don't believe so. But it's on its way. Um, But his first book, So Others May Live, I think just passed its one year release anniversary. Mm -hmm. If that's a... We each have our own copy. Yes, we do. Now is a good time to finish reading it. it. We both be. started it. Yes, we and did. And we never finished. Because we're ridiculous procrastinators who never finish anything. Um, I also, that's all on us. I also at one point started this, but I think I saw a tweet from Lee at some point saying that there is an audio version is, coming out. yeah. But as a surprise, I was going... I was doing an audio did, version yeah. for you and start. never finished that either <laughs> no, so, so. we have the worst follow through of anybody <laughs> so, in the world so there was your surprise that you never knew you had <laughs> lee's like oh thanks <laughs> question mark but yeah so we lee, have we have that audio still on here somewhere yes we do i think it's on the desktop <laughs> yeah so lee sent in a script and uh typically and our listeners are very good about like, hey, here's what I came up with. Do with it what you want. You know, everybody's really, really nice about that. Um, and Lee's not an exception, but I'm like, Lee's an, literally a published author and a good storyteller. And I'm Absolutely. like, why would I change There's anything No point about in tweaking it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... So I have not pre-read this, okay. so we may come with uh, come up with the same thing where we like say something that he says two sentences later. Yes. <laughs> but I also don't know the details of this story, so I'm going to to read it the way he wrote it. So it's not necessarily going to be in our traditional format. But again, I think because matter. he's a good author, we should just you know uh, read it the way he wrote it. So this is the story of the. Carl's List Dance Hall Fire. Okay, Carl's List? Carl's what? Lust. So Can K- I see how it's spelled? A-R-L-S-L-U-S-T. Oh, okay. Okay. So this sounds like a foreign uh, fire. Just... Well, it's in Berlin. Okay, yeah. Uh, February 8th, 1947. I actually... I thought he was putting some sort of code. He just put 8th of February, 1947, and I'm the dummy who couldn't figure out, like, the... Um, to re-Americanize the date anyway. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> see how he wrote it? It kind of looked like a code. I don't know. No. Okay, it did to me. <laughs> I admit it. I was the dummy here. 80 to 88 dead. Wow. Mm, yeah. And I love, he even put director's notes. Open with the usual banter in one star review corner, of course. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and let Demetrius say hello to Anastasia, if he's willing to cooperate. Oh, uh, he's, he's not willing he to is, cooperate right now. He is right sleeping now. right now. He is sleeping with his tail in front of his eyes, the cutest little way. But um, Anastasia is his long-distance girlfriend. Yes. yes. She's a very cute cat, a very judgy cat. Apparently so. Yes. Have you seen the pictures that we put? (laughs) She does always look like Mm -hmm. she's staring. What are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? (laughs) All right. So, like I said, unless I go off, and obviously everybody will know when I've gone off, these are Lee's words. So, if it says I, it's from his point of view, etc. Okay. Imagine, if you will, that you've survived the deadliest war in human history while living in the most heavily bombed city in all of Europe. No kidding, right? Oh, yeah. Berlin, 1947, yeah. Two years on, your city is divided and occupied by the victorious allies, and life has not returned to normal. Mostly just the Soviets. 
is still left in mm. in Germany. Oh, they had a bone to pick with the uh, with Germany. Okay. So a lot of all bad right. things happened during. We were there too. I mean, mm-hmm. all the Allied forces were there, but it was mainly the Soviets that were like, "Yeah, we're gonna take this over now and uh, deal with things from here." Well, and this was at the split of Berlin, right? It hadn't happened just yet. Oh, I don't okay. think it was about to happen. Well, let's keep yeah, reading because yeah. he might address anyway, it. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> all right. So life has not returned to no- normal. Far from it. Yeah. S- yeah. Still, there are chances to grab a little happiness. There's a party at one of Berlin's happening night spots, a place frequented by British soldiers and German civilians alike. So you dress in the yeah. So you dress in the only nice outfit you have left from before the war, and head to the Karlslust to drink and dance the night away. Maybe it's Karlslust. Karl, I bet it's Karlslust. Karlslust. Does it have the things? It does not have an Uber over it, okay, but Karlslust. Karlslust. To drink and dance the night away. Everything is going great, and you are having a grand time until around 11 p.m. when you hear the cry of fire. And also remember that Lee is a former firefighter and arson investigator. So this is like a perfect topic for him. And also, I'm kind of thinking, too, like maybe the reaction time from these people is a little slow because they're just like, we've been through bombings and fucking occupation. and Like what worse could happen? (laughs) Fire, whatever, I'll finish my smoke. (laughs) Yeah, that could be. Maybe I'll get out. It could be. Jesus. Before we dive into the story of the fire, I wanted to mention up front where the genesis of this tale came from and how I learned about it, as there isn't a whole lot of info out there. Ooh, so we're getting like the inside scoop here. Back in my days in graduate school, 2001 to 2003, my historical research focused on the German fire service during World War II. That's Hmm. fascinating. I was fortunate enough to be able to interview some professional firefighters from the war and a few dozen wartime auxiliary firefighters as well. In fact, on my desk in my office on campus, I have a wartime helmet, gas mask, uniform cap, and equipment belt given to me by one of them who served the citizens of Berlin from 1938 to 1970. Wow. That's awesome. He was at the car. That's quite a timeline in Germany, 38 to 70. A lot of of things happened in in between that. Yeah, no kidding. He was at the Karlslust fire and mentioned it to me when I interviewed him. I have in the notes I took from the interview a few articles about the fire from German sources and other assorted information about the fire services fire service in Berlin collected during my research. I conducted these interviews in 2003 when my grandfather was still alive. He was in Berlin in 1947 as an intelligence officer assigned to the American headquarters. Ooh. Wow. Lee? has led a very fascinating life and had a lot of interactions with very fascinating yeah. people. He's like the world's most interesting man. He is. is in in the all bad things uh, universe. Right. Anyway. He's our most interesting <laughs> he's our most interesting all bad things man. Yeah, I constantly feel lazy whenever we're talking about Lee. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I'm just lazy. <laughs> well, either way. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean though. I asked him so his grandfather if he knew about the fire and he did. There had never been much interest, historically speaking, in the experiences of wartime firefighting in Germany, unlike their British counterparts. Movies and books were made and written about the heroic deeds of the London Fire Brigade during the Blitz. But when I interviewed German firefighters, I was often the first person to ever ask them about it in a formal setting. As I was a firefighter myself at the time, we talked as professionals, and they opened up 
to me a bit more than perhaps they would to a real academic. I'm just a bum, remember? Hmm. <laughs> oh, I love this. I'm going to read this verbatim. Shameless self-promotion corner. You go, Lee. If you are interested in a reading about the challenges of fighting fires in the midst of air raids, check out a novel titled So Other May- Others May Live by yours truly, Lee Hutch. It's available as an ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. Nice. Yeah. We have a hard... I'll, uh, e- I'll even... Uh, we'll put out the audio that I did. <laughs> All uh, like three <laughs> sentences of it. No, I did a... What did I do? A chapter? I think you may have did yeah, a chapter. A chapter. Yeah. yeah. We discovered that you're very picky when you're trying to present yourself in a certain way here whatever no we just speak, this is just a conversation you were very you were very picky about like okay i'm gonna do that again and yeah well i mean certain when you're especially something like that in book form you have to know uh where to put in inflection mm-hmm. and how to pronounce certain words in a certain it way seriously well, it's yeah. I, it's something i was also trained to do yeah a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> yes no that was and we have an author's signed copy we do because mm-hmm. we're special we are my guess is any all bad things listener who gets can, a copy can get it signed by the yeah way. that would be my guess absolutely all right geography corner berlin is in the eastern part of germany and sits astride the spree river i didn't know that there are a few others as well the havel and the dom and there are assorted lakes in the western and southern parts of the city. At the time of the fire, Berlin was divided into four occupation zones, which mirrored... Oh, that's right! I feel like I remember this, yeah. Which mirrored the occupation zones of Germany as a whole, but more on that later. By the mid-1920s, Berlin was the third largest municipality in the world. Mm -hmm. The city was a center of culture and nightlife, but the Nazis came along and kind of fucked that up. (laughs) If you'd like to know more about what Berlin was like in the late 1920s, right before the Nazis became a big thing, check out the three seasons of Babylon Berlin on Netflix. Also, things were not very good before the Nazis came along. They weren't Nazi bad. But uh, because of World War One, um, the what was the the Treaty of Versailles mm-hmm. basically really fucked over Germany. Like they mm-hmm. they essentially got stuck with paying the bill for most of the war, and they went into a bad recession, which is why they the were Nazis open came along. to fascism. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they were just open to somebody with a with a bravado coming along and yeah. telling them what they needed to do. It's kind it's of- kind of similar to something. <laughs> Some, well, something oh yeah that's right it's like the united states today you know it's it's funny how much people really do just want to follow like just want somebody with a firm hand i think it's a, a little i think it's a little bit of they people want somebody to lead them as well mm-hmm. not necessarily that they want to follow but they, they want, want to, to follow led. a good leader well yes, yes. Uh, yeah ideally a good leader yes. yeah and in for some reason, in 60 million people's minds, that is who we have currently, and hey, that's their decision. Obviously, we disagree, but uh, don't say we didn't tell you so. Shall we return? We shall. <laughs> okay. So, Babylon Berlin on Netflix. And if you'd like to watch a movie about Berlin in the immediate post-war period, check out A Foreign Affair by the famed director Billy Wilder, starring Marlena Dietrich and Jean Arthur. (laughs) Should this be called Movie Recommendation Corner? Absolutely. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Berlin is divided into boroughs. 
This tragedy occurred in Spandau, which is the westernmost of the boroughs. And note that Berlin had 23 boroughs that were consolidated to 12 in 2001. Huh. Uh, Spandau Ballet is also the name of an 80s band. But wasn't that D-E-A-U-X? Spandau? It was, how did you spell it? How does it spell it? It was S-P-A-N-D-A-U, I Oh, believe. okay, yeah, then yeah. Same thing. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's how, did you did you like how I hit it from you yeah. so you couldn't cheat? <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of the... They had a huge hit, and I'm trying to remember... I have heard of Spandau Ballet, yeah. but I don't know what their... I'll think was. of it at some point. Okay. And, and inject it somewhere where nobody wanted it injected mm-hmm. into their mind. <laughs> I happen to be quite fond of a redhead from Penzlauerberg. I'm pretty sure Lee is talking about his wife here. Uh, the borough of Spandau was home to the notorious Spandau Prison. In 1933, after the Reichstag fire, I apologize, Lee, if I'm butchering this German. Reichstag. Reichstag. Yes, that's what basically put the Nazis in power. Uh, okay. Yeah. So after that, the prison housed political opponents of the Nazis before concentration camps were open. Later, it would house seven high-ranking Nazis convicted of war crimes at the Nuremberg trials, though they would not arrive until several months after the fire. Have you ever seen Judgment at Nuremberg? Speaking of no, movie I have recommendations, I've not. Yeah, that's a good. I one. think you've talked about it before, though. Yeah, um, it was. I think it. I think it was so good because it's an old movie, but it it came out. I, I want to say like before nineteen fifty. Like it was an immediate reaction to an immediate uh, circumstance. Event. Yeah. Uh huh. All right, history corner. I apologize in advance as this will be a somewhat protracted history corner, but understanding what happened to Berlin during and after the war is important to understand why Carl's Lust, why the why the Carl's Lust tragedy happened and the changes which came about as a result of it. So sorry, not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to I'm not going to be sorry. No, especially not hey. someone who has literally researched this mm-hmm. stuff like that this is if we if we research and have like some inordinately long history corner, that's bullshit. But if <laughs> if someone who actually does research partially for a li- or partially or totally for a living, then you're you're fully allowed to do that. Hitler was not originally a big fan of Berlin or Berliners with their cheeky anti-establishment sense of humor. He considered Berlin to be representative of the decadence of the Weimar era. Weimar. Weimar era. I, I was going to say Weimar, and then I started to say Weimar, and it came out Weimar. And the city had a large contingent of communist supporters in the 1920s and early 30s. Vetting. Oh, thank you, Lee. He he literally put in pronounced vetting. <laughs> thank you, because it's spelled wedding. Sure. Vetting, a densely packed working class neighborhood, was known as red vetting, for example, and not the red vetting of a uh, Game of Thrones. Ah. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you like my little? Yes, yeah, very nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, for example, due to its militant communist following, they had a catchy marching tune called Rotor Vetting. But I digress. Well, we, now we need Lee to, like, make a recording of himself singing Rotorvetting. When the Nazis removed the lime trees along the famous Unter den Leiden. That was okay, Sure. Right? Judges? Uh, okay. Yep, okay. They're good. Berliners were outraged. According to an old legend, as long as there were lime trees, there would be a Berlin. This led citizens to say, now the lime trees are gone and soon Berlin will be too. Hmm. Uh. 
Public sentiment forced Hitler to import lime saplings from the United States and replace the trees, some of them 250 years old, which he had had ordered or which he had ordered removed. But the saplings, along with the metal poles to brace them, made the trees look like lanterns, leading to Berliners to refer to the famous boulevard as Unter der Lantern. Oh, okay. Or Lantern. Um, that's so funny that, like, even someone like Hitler could get intimidated and, okay, I'll give you your damn lime trees back. Or why you'd get rid of him in the first place. Well, because he's a fuckwad. Well, he's getting rid of him because they're a symbol. Mm-hmm. You know, and then people are like, what the fuck are you doing? Motherfucker, what the fuck? <laughs> Motherfucker, what the fuck? Yeah. That's exactly right. And I bet it looks pretty cool. I'd like well, to see, yeah. I'd like to see pictures of what great. it. sounds yeah. great, yeah. Unlike World War One, where cheering crowds waved and gave flowers to soldiers departing the front, Berlin greeted the announcement that Germany had invaded Poland with a sense of shock and dismay. Though the first air raids on the capital were in 1940, heavy raids did not start until 1943. By the war's end, the city had endured nearly 400 air raids, killing around 30,000 civilians and leaving hundreds of thousands homeless. Large parts of the city center were rubble long before the Red Army arrived. The single most destructive raid of the war happened on the night of November 22nd to 23rd, 1943, as part of the RAF's, that's Royal Air Force, I mm-hmm. believe, British, yep. Battle of Berlin. The Tiergarten, Charlottenburg, and Spandau were hardest hit during the raid. The famous Berlin Zoo received heavy damage. Mm. Some animals escaped and others were burned alive in their cages. Mm. Mm. Over one, uh, of course, here I am, like going oh, oh, over the animals and not the thirty thousand people dead. I get it. I get it. Vegans are weird. <laughs> over one hundred seventy-five thousand people were left homeless, and around two thousand or so were killed. I'm kind of surprised. That's all it was. Um, the well, well, this is the the um. What. This is just the one. Oh, you're talking about just the one neighborhood. The, the oh, most, okay. No, this is just or the one borough. The one raid right. killed this oh, number of okay. people. Oh, okay. Okay. One that's night, right. basically, that happened. The overall total is much higher. Obviously. Well, that's the thirty thousand. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. By war's end, Berlin was the most heavily bombed city in Europe. While 30,000 fatalities sounds like a lot, it is actually a low death toll considering how yeah. hard the city was hit. I, I, guess I thought so. it would have been way higher than that. Yeah. Considering how many people live there as well. It's funny. I feel like that it's you just lose perspective after numbers go past a certain point. It's just like, what is, like, what did you say? Um, uh, one I, believe, is a statistic- I believe it's Stalin. Um, one, is, one is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. Mm-hmm. Because... You start viewing the whole as a single, and it doesn't seem as bad. It's weird. It's yeah. weird, and it's wrong. It's like a terrible perception bias. Well, it's it's uh, it's also because <clears throat> we we did watch 1917 together the other night. Yes, we did. I had already seen it, but Twice. Um, <laughs> well, no, I won't because people, some people I was about to spoil something, so I won't say anything. Yeah, no, but just th- in case. that theme is kind of through. I feel is kind of throughout the mm. movie is like there's this death all around you and you don't think of it yeah you don't view it the same way yeah you kind of can't. can't i feel like that's a and maybe that's the thing about these large numbers is that it's a protective mechanism psychologically probably yeah 
For comparison, a single raid on Hamburg killed more than that in one night, more than 30,000 people. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. Berlin was heavily defended and had the best fire protection in Germany, which kept the death toll low. I guess that's true, because there's like the explosions, but then there's the <clears> fire. And the fire probably kills more people than the initial explosions, I would guess. Or uh, crumbling buildings. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they had shut off like power and gas lines and stuff like that. If they knew a, an air raid was coming, which uh, who knows when they did or when they didn't. I wonder if they did blackouts in Probably. Berlin. Probably. I would think in, like, so. Like London, yeah. And as bad as that sounds, worse was to come. In April, the Russians arrived. Hitler refused to allow the population to evacuate. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. And they found themselves caught in the middle as Russian and German soldiers battled house by house and block by block. God. By that time, most of the uh, German soldiers, I'm doing air quotes, right. by that time defending Berlin uh, were like preteens, teens, mm. and old men because mm. everybody else was dead Wow! as far as their um, armies had gone. Plus, they were in other parts of... I mean, by this time, I mean, Germany was defeated. This mm. was just the last... This was the final blow. Mm. But yeah, they were mostly fighting young kids and old men. Wow. Because there was nobody else to fight. Wow. 20,000 to 25,000 civilians died during the fighting in the city. Yeah. And then it was over. Yep. If you go back, this is a direct quote for the record. If you go back and listen to the episode about the Love Parade disaster, our esteemed hosts do a good job explaining the political situation and the division of post-war Germany into occupation zones and the West-East divide. So that need not detain us here, other than to remind you that Spandau was in the British sector in West Berlin. Okay. So not East Berlin, it was in West Berlin. Life in post-war Germany was harsh. Food shortages were rampant and still rationed. Lack of housing was another major issue. There was a thriving black market in Berlin, but it was still difficult to get a hold of essentials. Plus, they had to fucking rebuild everything. I mean, that's really what they're doing Mm -hmm. pretty much every single day. Berliners frequently lived without heating in the winter or warm clothes. During the harsh winter of of 1946 to 1947, food shortages reduced the average adult's diet in Berlin to 1,200 calories a day. It's like a snack for me. I'm unwilling to admit that. (laughs) The British Army imposed restrictions on daily life as well. All German vehicles were required to yield the right of way to British vehicles, both military and civilian, at all times, and were also restricted in the times they were allowed to operate. This included German government vehicles. Um, I think I'm starting to understand a little bit why there's an American perception of certain uh people in certain or people in certain nations like say Russia or Germany or whatever as being harsh or um it's a stereotype but of being like matter of fact or just not basically not precious like we are oh here in I, I was trying to see where you're okay <laughs> like we're well they've been through little... they've been through more all of our wars are fought somewhere else exactly like we, we don't nobody nobody alive today in america mm-hmm. well and let well leaving pearl harbor out of it unless you were involved in that because i'm sure there are maybe a handful of people still, still alive, alive from yeah. that other than that no american 
on American soil has experienced what an air raid is. We we don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's part, that's part of the reason why, uh, I think those days are on, on their way. Well, shit, the people in 9-11, that was an air raid. Okay, yes. That that counts as an air raid. Yeah, I would agree with that. So if you're not one of those people as well. Right. you, You don't, you don't know what it's like. Yeah. And then... Life wasn't like this after 9-11. <laughs> no. Like, and even American rationing and stuff during World War II was not to that level. No. And this is post-war Germany. Mm-hmm. This isn't even during the war, so, wow. So, I mean, people, especially the, the bigger nations, Germany, the UK, Russia, you know, France, all of their grandparents mm-hmm. know what it's like to have to hunker down in the middle of a war. Yeah. Not a fucking virus. Mm-hmm. All right. That's driving some people enough nuts enough as it is. Right. And and to be fair, we did have the depression here. We so did. there are people who were born who, of the depression. Who've gone through that. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is not good. We're about to go through another one. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Back to, back to cheerier times. How about the like, fire department like, like corner? A, like a fire in Germany in 1947. <laughs> How about the fire department corner? <clears throat> Before the war, the Berlin Fire Brigade had been among the best in the world. There were around 1,800 professional firefighters in the city when the war started. Only 80 or so survived the war. That's, yeah, that's not surprising either. By the fall of 1943, the city had to rely heavily... I am not bored. I promise you. I don't know why I yawned. Um, the city had to rely heavily on teenage auxiliary firefighters, both male and female, like you said. Teenagers and younger people kind of. They're, they're, they're all the they're kind left. of all that yeah. was left. Yeah. Night after night, they went out and fought fires, even while bombs were still falling. Two dozen Berlin firefighters died during the last two weeks of the war. Mm. Even while fighting raged up and down the streets of the city, the firefighters still responded to calls for help, often getting caught in the middle of firefights or artillery strikes. The general in charge of the fire brigade was shot by the Nazis when he finally ordered the remaining vehicles and firefighters to leave the city though a few dozen firefighters remained until the bitter end. The central fire station was one of the last buildings to fall to the Russians. Wow. I, I kind of, I mean, that it makes a lot of sense. Firefighters are a hearty fucking people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. They, they face death daily. I don't think they're going to. Probably being caught in the middle of a crossfire is kind of like, oh, oh, well. All right, I've come to terms with this a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. 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 When the Allies divided up the city, they brought their own military fire protection with them. In the British sector, the British Army provided fire protection for over a year until they allowed the Berliners to establish their own fire brigades again. However, the Army still maintained a firefighting force to protect their own buildings. The problem arose from the fact that there was no central emergency number to call, and many Berliners lacked electricity and phones. So, like, even if there was, not like you can call it, right? The old telegraph alarm system no longer worked. The restrictions on non-military vehicles meant that Berlin fire trucks had to pull over and stop any time a military vehicle approached them from either direction, even if the truck was on call. That's some bullshit right there. Yeah. That is some bullshit. That's still... That's just, that's just fucking with people. 
that still, can I say, I think it was my because of my grandfather, who was a firefighter, uh, retired as a chief in uh, Dade County back in the day. I learned from a young age, you do whatever the fuck you got to do to get out of a, a res- fire rescue truck's way, period. Like, I don't care if you didn't want to turn there. Turn there to get out of their fucking way. Like, it was that dire, and it still drives me up the wall when people won't pull over. Like, I'm like, you you should be charged with, like, negligent homicide for what you're doing right now. It's, I'm, I get enraged. That's a bit much, but I, but I understand. <laughs> you were supposed to say something there while I was drinking. <laughs> oh, okay. Some, something. Something. <laughs> With all of the damage in the city, most of the bridges were down, and it might take a fire truck 30 or 45 oh, sure. minutes to reach a scene a mile or two away because of all the detours that that would need to be taken. That's Ugh. a ton of time to get to a fire. Can you imagine how frustrated they must have been? Just... Uh, well, it's because, I mean, if you're taking that long to get to a call, the, the odds are that that building's gone. I mean, yeah. we, we've covered fires where the building's gone in like four minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? so, or the majority of deaths, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> this is cute. And to run the risk of sounding like the sham wow guy, but wait, there's more. <laughs> I forgot about that guy. I know, right? Didn't he die? No, that was the other guy. Which other guy? The sham wow guy was the younger dude. The older, Billy Mays. He He's the guy that oh, died. Oh, he wasn't the sham wow guy? I don't think so. I feel like he was. He might have been. Maybe we'll run a sham wow corner Anyway, week. Anyway, he's dead. <laughs> It was a brutal winter in Berlin with temperatures hovering around zero degrees Fahrenheit or negative 17 Celsius. Sounds like a good old Messina, New York winter. Ugh. <laughs> you have so much in common with Berlin. Yes. <laughs> Except for the hot nightlife. We had plenty right? of, uh, we had pl- yeah, well, back in the day, I guess there was, but uh, we had plenty of, there was plenty of people of uh, European descent. Sure. Where I grew up. Sure. Did Messina have any hot ni- night spots? Yeah, they did back in the day. Yeah? Yeah. Like nightclubs or more yeah. like bars and stuff? Uh, I think more like a you know small town nightclub. Oh, okay. That's yeah. cute. I mean, my parents used to go out uh, boozing Clubbing? on the weekend. Yeah, That's so. fun. The German firefighters in Berlin operated out of unheated stations, which meant that if they received a call for help, they often had to warm up the motor oil before they could start the engine. Sure. Ugh. Yeah. And these are like 1945, 46, 47 fire trucks too and they're not brand new either no (laughs) this is uh it's probably just a truck that they have hoses on yeah you know so yeah these issues would become painfully apparent on the night of the fire yeah we can see where this is going and now we reach the fire Unfortunately, I'm Irish, and so I don't know how to make a long story short, but we finally got into the fire part. Well, Lee, we are not Irish. I'm not Irish. And we just <laughs> we have the same problem. talk a lot, so that's <laughs> yeah. our problem. <clears throat> although so. I, although my descent is uh, German, so maybe... Yeah, likewise, yes. my last name is German. There's a beer named after my last name. Well, not me personally, but... <laughs> um, yeah, and you had way more interesting things to say than we ever have, Lee, so... Very well much done. So. The Karlslust was a prominent entertainment venue in Berlin dating back to before the war. It was owned by Herr Lobel. I know Herr means mister. So oh, okay. Herr. I, I feel like a Herr, Herr Lobel. Yeah, whatever. And thus it was, was sometimes ref- 
<laughs> sometimes I can't speak English or any other language. And thus it was sometimes referred to as Lobel's Restaurant. It consisted of a two-story main building which had a large open dance floor known as the Great Hall. The main building was flanked by two smaller buildings, one of which contained another dance floor called the Small Hall. That's cute. The, and nightclubs back in the day were like swanky. They weren't like unt, unt, unt nightclubs. They were like big band, well, no, because, boozy, swanky. No, um, techno hadn't been invented well, no. yet. no. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Although it was like Europeans that basically came up with techno, so That's right. so maybe maybe there was maybe if we heard like 1940s like band music, we could <laughs> like oh I can hear. Oh, well, I heard a. I can hear. I can hear some techno in there. I heard it. Now I hear heard an. Mm. Yeah. Oh, did you hear that? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean when I was uh when when I was a uh, when I was a young lad. When you were of clubbing when, age. When I was uh. Not of legal clubbing age, but I, but I went anyway. Uh, that's when raves and techno were first really huge, like in the mid to late 90s. Mm. And it was annoying. Did you ever do Molly? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah? Yeah. I didn't really like it. Okay. I liked acid better. <laughs> I don't know why I asked you your drug, drug preference on, on our podcast. Acid and shrooms uh, are definitely better than ecstasy. They're slightly more natural now? Acid is not. Acid oh, is okay. literally... Uh, manufactured okay it's chemicals okay. uh shrooms have a uh, psilocybin in it psilocybin right. is well shrooms natural. are shrooms are naturally occurring they are correct? Mm-hmm. okay uh there are parts of ecstasy that are natural as well well i so. mean ultimately all of chemistry is quote natural it's mm-hmm. hard to yeah. okay let's and that was back. all bad drug corner <laughs> all bad too. They are all bad drugs, just for the If anybody record. was wondering where MDMA stood on my list of drugs, <laughs> it's pretty low. Oh, boy. Acid is better. <laughs> the building had been used to house prisoners of war during World War II. Ooh. And so many of the... Oh, Jesus. Many of the windows were either barred or bricked over. Oh, it's sure. An old POW. Yeah. Oh, God. There were four exits designated as emergency exits, but they were not marked. And they also... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're super helpful that way. And they also I did not I lead... I can't see how that's going to be a problem at all. Oh, my God. They also did not lead directly outside, but rather to common rooms with doors that led outside. That's... So it's like a little maze. Ugh. Per the fire codes, emergency exits must lead directly outside. Yeah. But at this time, yeah. the police in Berlin were in charge of doing occupancy inspections, not the fire brigade. In fact, the building had only recently reopened, and the police did not bother to notify the fire brigade that it was now going to be used as an entertainment venue again. Something you might want to oh, you know, hey just guys, mention. Like, by, by the, the way, way, this POW camp, it's going to turn into a It's a dance hall now. <laughs> Uh, we tried to get rid of the stench, but it's still in there. But people just oh, want to dance God. anyway. Um, and they're just going to smoke cigarettes and get drunk anyway. So they won't even notice. Oh, my God. Given how cold it was outside, Herr Lobel used four iron stoves, indoors, mind, to heat the rooms, but brought in an extra one on the night of February 8th and placed it in the Great Hall. He surrounded Jeez, it. I wonder where this is going. <laughs> oh, here, it gets better. Mm-hmm. He surrounded it with wooden chairs to keep anyone from bumping into it but the chimney atop the stove was perilously close to the false plywood ceiling 
plywood decorated with flammable materials. I'm sure you can see where this is going. Smoke coming out of this thing, like in the middle <laughs> of a, a room? That's kind of what it sounds like. Well, no, if there was a... Chi- well, no, he Still, said, it it said, said he dragged d- it in. Yeah. Just for that It doesn't night. sound like the chimney went all the way out of the roof and into the... The I, chimney I, was perilous. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It I, sounds like I, I think they're pumping carbon dioxide into yeah. this. Yeah. It's like, have you have you ever seen early footage of the earliest subway systems? I don't think where so, it specifically. Was coal-powered trains running through there? Ooh. It was... Yes. <laughs> the subway tunnels were just all yes. like smoke filled. Yes. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And people were okay with it. it? I, I guess they thought it was <laughs> yay te- normal to, yeah. <laughs> technology. Yeah, I guess <laughs> stuff. I guess they thought it was normal to just die of carbon dioxide Jeez. poisoning on a daily basis. I mean, this is also a time where you know there was lead and paint. Well, there aren't fair uh, enough. you know there aren't strong building codes as far as uh, mm. people were yeah. That's been a, a suggestion, by the way, lead and paint. I'm sure. Because talk about a f- fucking yeah. large-scale disaster. All right. That night, the Carl's List was holding the first costume ball since the war ended. It was the start of carnival season, and people were in a festive as festive a mood as the conditions in the city allowed. And sometimes when things are really shitty, that's when people really want to let loose the most. Oh, of course. Uh, you know, so. I'm very curious if anybody dressed up as a Nazi soldier. Too soon. We Too we, soon. I, I'm, I'm thinking of it as like a, as like a, uh, like a symbol of defiance. Like, fuck you. Like a, a caricature. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know why I'm thinking that. But. I don't know. It's weird that your mind went there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's costume party. Like, a... when was the last time you dressed in costume? Oh, I couldn't even tell you. I think for me, it was forced. It was uh, when we played Oktoberfest. Oh I yeah, that's right. I was I was there Carrie. for that. Yeah, I had to wear the fucking bar <laughs> wench costume. <laughs> yeah. It was. I was so embarrassed by that. That I threw that thing away. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, the ball was hosted by one of the local Spandau Youth Sports Clubs, and many of the attendees were teenagers. 750 tickets were given out, despite the fact that the police limited the gathering to 700, so they were over capacity. And well over 1,000 people are thought to have been in actual attendance that night. Jeez including the local police captain and British military personnel, who were clearly on their night off. The British had waived the curfew time for the night to allow the party to take place. There's so many bad ideas. As guests arrived via the main entrance, staff took their coats and hats and placed them in a cloakroom adjacent to the front door. That little fact would result in the deaths of quite a few people. Mm. Mm. I was watching... um, Oh, I was watching a fucking episode of Sex and the City, which might as well be like... (laughs) classic 100 TV years at old this point it is so fucking outdated like it was outdated two days after each episode aired but they went to a party that had a coat check and i'm like what the fuck i, wor- I worked at a restaurant that still had a coat check was it a no we never it uh it was yeah board it was upscale like it was you know if you wanted a steak it was like 50 bucks but um it was never used, but it yeah, was, like who would? But it was still there because that's such a weird thing. Well, back in the day, it wasn't like you checked your coat in I the guess. wintertime. Now I think it's well. You grew up in the you mostly grew up in the South, 
checking your coat. Well, Miami. Miami is not the South, but there's no coats to be had. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but like like in the Northeast or in the, I guess if you go to a party, what do you do with your coat? In the middle of February. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's, it's the same concept as uh, like a, uh, a valet driver. You hand him the keys. He hands you a ticket. Except it's your coat. It is. Yeah. It's the same system. You go back to the little coat room. And no, I get like, the system. Yeah. I just, I think it is my Miami upbringing, just not understanding no. the concept. I don't get it 100%. Yeah, and Miami people are certainly not hardy, not like Northeastern people. We're hardened <laughs> to say drug busts. There and... you go. That's true. Like Miami was a war zone for, yeah. the, for the 80s. Yeah. So. We're used to shootings in Dadeland Mall <laughs> yeah. and such, you know, that's We're just used to hunting accidents. Oh, God. Ugh. Hunting accidents and, like, snowmobiling accidents. Oh, yeah, we got that those two. In At least one we person there. every year died from one of each. Not the same person. <laughs> like, they shot while on their snowmobile. Well, I'm, I'm sure somebody tried that. I'm sure so many people tried that, and I hope they all died, come because to, we don't need that DNA in the world. Come to think of it, if I had thought of it, I definitely oh would have tried that. God. How you survived your childhood, I don't know. Somewhere around 11 p.m., the music stopped, and all of a sudden, the light went out. That's not good. Unbeknownst to the guests... But, but the stove is still going. No, no, no. Unbeknownst to the guests, heat from the stove chimney had been slowly building up on the top of the plywood oh, false ceiling, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it finally ignited. Hmm. Note that there are some reports which state it caused a dust explosion. Remember when we mm-hmm. talked about dust yep. explosions? Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are bad. Oh, they're awful. That's what police said at the time, but the fire brigade had a different opinion. So apparently there was a little bit of push and pull here. Screams and shouts erupted in the darkness. People, and this is when the panic sets in, people began to try and flee as flames raced overhead, causing molten decorations to drip onto their heads and shoulders. Many of the guests raced towards the cloakroom to retrieve their coats. I guess that must have just been like a not even thinking of it panic moment. Like, and, just get the fuck out. And Forget also, your fucking coat. And also, not realizing how hot a fire burns. Mm. You're not gonna need your coat if oh, you're standing God. even relatively close to it, even mm. even though it's around zero degrees outside. And that caused a massive crush near the front doors, mm-hmm. and most of this deceased would be found there. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a plus, crowd disaster plus the coat resulting. Check, plus, also the coat check was probably close to it exit slash entrance right yes because that would be one of the first things you would do if you walked into this place it's usually like a little room off Mm -hmm. to the side right yeah now as a retired firefighter i have to say that if you are ever in a building and a fire starts just get out Mm -hmm. amen lee that a hundred percent like belongings jack shit doesn't mean anything the fuck out of there Stuff can be replaced. Lives cannot. Thank you. Yep, exactly. My grandpa used to say that all the time. However, in this case, it is understandable why guests would seek to retrieve their coats. First off, it was zero degrees outside. Second, most of them lived in unheated apartments. Oh, as fuel sure. oil well, was impossible sure. to come by in the city I didn't city think of it that time. way, but yeah. 150 absolutely. Berliners froze to death in that winter of 46 I, to 47. I don't doubt so that either. So I guess, okay, now I feel like a dick. Um, I kind of do too. I know that that like they're not thinking of we need it 
to go outside. They're thinking we need it when we get, get home. home to survive. Yeah, like we might burn to death here, or we might freeze to death at home. Uh, well, so it's, okay, going to be one or the other. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I I get that impulse. The coats they tried to reach were the only warm outer clothing that they had, so it is understandable why they would react that way. Okay, thank you, Lee. Sorry, we were jerks. Some patrons managed to find their way out through the poorly marked emergency exits. I can't even imagine what 1947 Berlin exit signs looked like. Including the police captain who escaped with his family. Jeez. The owner, Herr Lobel, made it out, but... Oh, God. But then returned to his upstairs apartment to retrieve his cash box, only to be overcome with smoke and killed. Money is evil, people. And your love of it is even worse. Well, you also have to put into context this time that that's probably all this guy has. And and he's he's literally just thinking, That's I'm sure that's what he's thinking. That's all I have. That's I all the know. money I have. And I need to get it. And I know. You're correct. And Because, again, either way... If he gets caught in the fire, or if he decides to just lose all of his money, he's dying either way, in a sense, you know. The people of Berlin sure were in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not wrong on that, yeah. Some patrons managed to find their... Oh, wait, I already said that. Dazed patrons, many of them horribly burned, stumbled around outside as steam rose from their bodies. Ugh. Some tried to smash through bricked-up windows oh God, sure. to reach the people they heard screaming inside. Well, actually, that's very noble. People are actually trying to smash through brick to help people. That's extremely noble. To them, it must have seemed like an eternity before help arrived and probably was pretty close to it. I'm guessing I'm, we're going to get into that next. I'm thinking it probably just brought them right back to... Uh, mm. To the, the war. Blitz. Well, can you imagine yeah. thinking, I fucking made it through the blitzes and I'm gonna die in a fucking nightclub? Yeah, oh. when I'm when I'm wanting to go out and have a good time. Just kind of relaxed. Just for a for night once. It's like it's like a cruel fate. Thing. It is. Ugh, it's very very much so. And plus, like most of these people were teenagers. Yeah. Some of them literally fought off Russians yeah. and made it out yeah. somehow. And yeah, that sucks. That's, that's, that's a, bullshit. That's a separate kind of irony when somebody... Like, remember last week when we talked about Cecilia, the little girl who survived the plane crash? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I'm not afraid to fly. I feel, what are the fucking chances? Not her words. Right. <laughs> My words with the swearing. Um, but... That's where things get really shitty when it does happen. Like yeah. when somebody does survive something horrible and then dies yeah. another horrible way. It's just well, like Well, we've learned with the fuck. we've learned with our current uh, pandemic, there have been some Holocaust survivors mm. that have died from the coronavirus. I believe the first um the first person in Israel to die of COVID-19 was a Holocaust yeah, survivor. It's, it's just, just like, like it's like of all the shit there? that I made it through, this is the fucking thing that gets me, you know. I don't want to talk people out of any faith that you may have that is comforting at this time, but to say that everything for happens for a reason and God is in control. I exhibit A. I'm also almost two bears in. Oh Jesus! <laughs> That's what she said. That doesn't even make sense. No, it doesn't. But it's fine. Uh, anyway. There is some debate as to the exact order in which help arrived, though I don't know if that really makes a difference in the end. Fair enough. 
Wikipedia states that the first engines to arrive were crewed by the British Army, and they reached the scene 15 minutes after the fire started, and it took a further 30 minutes for the Berlin Fire Brigade to respond. However, in a 2015 article published in... Oh, Jesus Christ. The English translation is Fire Department Chronicle. Are you ready for me to say the German? Führerkronik. Führerkronik. Let's see. Yeah, Fuhrer sure. Chronic. Yeah. That wasn't so bad. Gives detailed information about the emergency response. I would guess that that might be a little more accurate than Wikipedia. I don't know. Not to slag off Wikipedia. I love uh-huh. Wikipedia. The authors state that Spando's nearest engine was located relatively nearby, and Engine 17 arrived on scene eight minutes after the fire started, at the same time as two British military fire engines. That's actually a really quick response, given the, given the shit time. they were having to yeah. go through. Yeah. Um, the reason for the confusion as to the German response is that the nearest ladder truck, military or civilian, could not make the scene for 45 minutes because they first had to heat up the motor oil, as aforementioned, and then take numerous detours as the bridge of the River Spree had not been rebuilt until the end of the war. Since the end of the war, sorry. A call for help and ambulances went out across West Berlin and help would arrive from the French and American sectors as well. The Berlin Fire Brigade sent as many of their fire apparatus as they could, but the process was slowed due to the fact that each station had to be notified separately by telephone, and their trucks had to... Oh, Jesus. Their trucks had to observe the 40 kilometers per hour speed what? limit for German vehicles. Like it's a fucking emergency, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. But if they had, they would have been bogarted by cops, I guess. So they had to... They had no uh, choice, yeah. The Berlin Fire Brigade did not have radios in 1947, so they couldn't even, like, help each other out. While some crews worked to pull people out of the crush near the door, British and German firefighters worked side by side to fight their way into the building and extinguish the fire. As it's actually very reminiscent of our very first episode, the, the station. Yeah. Night mm-hmm. A lot of people got mm-hmm. crushed at the front door trying to yep. get out. They weren't trying to grab coats, but they were trying to get out, and it was they right. overwhelmed that. It's that. the panic mm-hmm. can cause a lot of problems. I mean, if there were sufficient exits, no one would have had too much of a problem. Right. In both cases, there were severe problems. With yes, exits. with the exits. Yeah. So not to blame the victims no, here at all, know. but yeah. I I don't know what the fuck I would do in a in a fire. No, I, I would. Does. I would hope that I would, especially through all the episodes that we've I done. Know, right? I would hope that I would maintain. You know, uh, some cool head, yeah. right? And be like, okay, this needs to, I need to do this, this, and this. Well, that's why there are fire drills. That's mm-hmm. why they like. I don't know about you, but like, when do you remember back in the days when you could go to a movie theater before everything got shut down? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, where they would say, "Know your exits," mm-hmm. or they don't say that, but you know, they say like, "Locate your exits." Out. Yeah, that and in a plane, I do that every single time, and I do that because not because I couldn't figure it out like inte- intellectually but to like almost ready myself just for a mental uh, happens, just a mental note yeah it's like i don't think this will happen but if it happens i know what to do i used to do it when i worked at a tiernanog when we would have mm-hmm. well because we had live music there and we were uh, at that time a pretty big live uh venue. music venue mm-hmm. There were definitely times when we had too many people in there. And there were only two exits. There was only, there was only one at the, the front, front and, the and the back, and that was it. 
And I used to just sit there and think, okay, like if something happens, right? Like I'll, I'll, because a lot of people don't even know that back exit is even there. Right. I was like, I will file everybody out of the back, make sure everybody's good to go, and if the smoke starts getting overwhelming, then I'm gone. You know, but right. be- but before that, thankfully nothing like that ever happened. But right. I would, I would think about it mm-hmm. because you have. 250 300 people crammed into a tight space well the best preparation for any emergency is to drill it ahead of time like so so your brain doesn't have to think about it in real time sure your brain will find the synapse that i'm making this like neurological science up but like your brain will click or the idea is that your brain will click back. Well, well they'll to say the in, in those situations like cops, firefighters, first responders, things like that. Um, they're like, when you go on your first call, like, don't worry about your training; it'll come back to you. Yeah, because like, you drilled it. Like, yes. get it in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do think that individuals have their own natural responses. Sure. Um, I know that when people or things freak out around me i get like tunnel vision laser focus and i'm like i don't give a shit i am demigod well i will tell everyone what to do and then i'll deal with the shit later i have a feeling in the next couple of months we're gonna need that instinct but we'll see i have an iron fist i'm not afraid to use it (laughs) (laughs) Ah, oh is that demi yeah, he's wanting to get in. And that's Demetrius that's okay. wanting to get in to say hello to Anastasia. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a little girlfriend. All right. <laughs> As the first... Uh, here I am being like, blah, blah, blah. No, this is brilliant writing. <laughs> As the first crew entered via a side door... Oh, the roof collapsed. Mm. Killing three or six accounts ferry British Army firefighters. Mm. With a multinational response, coordination of rescue efforts was next to impossible. Sure. This was a time in which knowledge of English was not widespread in Germany. Understood. Like, now in Europe, you can pretty much get around with knowing only English. A lot of people know English in Europe. but It's one of the five languages they speak. (laughs) But that's um, modern Europe, not 1947. Well, I mean, and also Germany was very... Um, isolated well no anti-american oh well yeah mm -hmm. so they're not teaching their kids english necessarily yeah Mm -mm. to the south of spandau the in uh zellendorf in the american sector a u.s army intelligence officer had just gotten back to his room i wonder if this is his grandpa it was his grandpa right who was an american intelligence officer Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know why why you're whispering either A U.S. Army intelligence officer had just gotten back to his room from a meeting when he heard a cacophony of sirens outside. The phone in his room rang, and he was ordered to take a jeep, grab some medical supplies, and drive to the British sector to help. He was a German linguist, so I can only surmise that they thought he might be of use as a translator. Sure. Makes perfect sense. He told me when we spoke of this night... Oh, maybe it's not his grandpa. Maybe it's not Stop. Stop whispering. <laughs> Sorry, Lee. It's my new AMSR podcast. Never mind. Uh, He told me when we spoke of this night that it was the worst thing he'd seen in his life. Keep in mind that he was actually an infantry officer from 1943 to 1945 and had seen heavy combat in Western Europe. And this was the worst thing he saw. 
He said he could never forget the screams of people who had made it outside and had loved ones still inside. That, mm. oh, getting separated from the people you're... Oh, I don't even want to think, but God. To the east of Spandau and Charlotte, Charlottenburg, a Berlin firefighter had just fallen asleep when the fire... when Sorry. When the phone rang, calling them into action. His engine arrived a few minutes after the roof collapsed. Firefighters sprayed water back and forth over the front facade of the building to try and cool them down to give a chance to those trapped under the rubble. But as this particular firefighter had worked in Berlin during the war and seen plenty of fires and collapses, he didn't hold out much hope for people trapped beneath the rubble. He told me that to him, this incident was worse than working during major air raids during the war. Jesus. I pressed him as to why he said uh, as to why and he said it was because there wasn't anyone to be angry at. That's isn't oh, that a, okay. isn't that, sure. like yeah. that makes so much sense. There wasn't a motive. Yeah. Yeah. This wasn't an incendiary dropped from a bomber, it was just a fire. He further said that the tragic fact is that those killed that night had all survived the war and the immediate aftermath. This was supposed to be a celebration of Berlin turning a corner and hopefully life would be back to normal soon. It wasn't, of course, but that was the hope. That's so uh, sad. Makes, that makes it even worse. It's tragic. So all these people had been through mm. hell already and just wanted to have one night have, like, one give night give us one fucking night yeah. one fucking night where we can fun. let loose just a little bit just a little bit of fun shortly after dawn the rubble mm. had cooled enough that the authorities could begin to remove the bodies der spiegel reported in the immediate aftermath of the fire that 88 people had been killed though they later revised it down to 80 however it is not clear if the number 80 includes the british military personnel who died other sources list the death tolls as 80, 80, sorry, 84, 85, or 86. Over half of the dead were between the ages of 17 and 19. Jesus. Babies. That sucks. <sighs> Many of the bodies were not identifiable due to extensive burns, and some were buried in a mass grave, which in Germany, in post-World War II, they were in their mass grave. Those things are still around. They're still... Uh, I was mm. watching... I cannot remember the guy's name. He's a combat journalist. Uh, but he's going over to um, many fronts that World War II saw um, to interview people who were around it. These people are like in their 80s and 90s now. But people who went through World War II are starting to be almost completely gone. Yeah, it's so very he's, close to being <clears throat> dying generation. So he's trying to get Any whatever information. information. And he's like, he's like, people, he's like, grandparents and elderly keep pointing me out to where these mass graves are he has he doesn't know if they're actually there but he's tagged them and given them to the proper yeah and he's like this per and then he's just like he's just like the stories that i'm hearing now are completely different than the stories i was hearing 20 years ago yeah you know because people are now they're all about to die they're like fuck it they're like there's no anyway no retaliation we're right. just gonna tell we're just gonna it tell like you. it is we're just gonna tell you what happened you know man Mm. Mm. Over 150 people were injured, many of them severely. Penicillin was in very short supply in Berlin, sure. and so medical supplies had to be flown in from the UK, and some victims were even treated at Br the British Army Hospital in Spandau. 
So here's the aftermath. As you can imagine, there was a tremendous outcry from the public in the aftermath of the disaster. Why were the police performing safety inspections instead of the fire brigade? Why were German emergency services prohibited from operating in the manner needed, uh, demanded even by the public? And what of the survivors who lost ration coupons or coats that night? Oh, jeez, yeah. What was to be done? That too. You know what I think we should do? Let's add an amendment to the tax code where based on your adjusted gross income from 2019 or 2018, if that's not available, um, that you get $1,200 per individual. Not available. Yeah. Well, I'm just making a joke, you see. Oh, okay. In that I'm saying, like, okay, how do you help the people who just had an immediate loss? I'm joking as to how America just dealt with Oh, okay. I I thought you were being serious. No. Oh, okay. I'm fucking pointing out how bizarre we are. Give them something a year from now. God. (laughs) That's not going to do dick by the time they get it. (laughs) Guys, for what it's worth, we are not getting a UBI. We are not getting an economic stimulus. This is a tax credit advance. Hmm? No, what we're getting is what we got in uh, 08, 09, and corporations are going to tighten their grip even further after that. I don't mean to sound like a party pooper, even though we're talking about a fire in Berlin that killed 80-plus people. 80 to 88. But uh, that's what just happened. That's what this $2 trillion stimulus is. It's a fucking blowjob to corporations. Every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you, Congress. <laughs> yeah. All right. It is often a tragedy when necessity, which necessity, sorry, this is good writing. Damn it. It deserves to be read correctly. It is often tragedy, which necessitates change. And this is yet one more sad example. Political parties across the spectrum in Berlin raised money to help care for the injured. Berliners who had next to nothing anyway, chipped in what little they could to help. Hey, we're seeing that happening right now. Well, that, see, that's the thing. Average people are yeah. super generous. Yeah, some guy that's got $4 million in the bank doesn't, the f- doesn't give a fuck. Fucking does assholes. Does not give a fuck. They're the fucking assholes. So we are going to have to take care of each other, which we will do. That's exactly right. The borough government in Spandau gave out 800 coats to replace those lost that night and replaced ration books, no question. No questions, questions asked. asked. No AGI limits. No, you oh no. Well, what was the uh, thing they they a... are they are actually doing? Um, a test. Uh, they were talking anyway. The means test. Yes, thank you. That's the yes. AGI thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Well, let's means test it first. How about uh, anyway? Whatever. Well, we just help people who yeah, need it. Yeah. Exactly. Here's a wild thought. Yeah. Jesus but don't give Christ. too much money to people because they might not go back to work, according to Lindsey Graham. But perhaps the biggest changes came about from the British military government. German emergency vehicles were no longer required to yield right away, yeah, right no away to all official like, vehicles. And they were also permitted to attach blue lights to the fire trucks. When attending an actual emergency, the speed limit for German vehicles no longer applied. But perhaps the biggest change was in the establishment of a uniform number to call for emergencies. Well, sure, yeah. Consider this. What if you 
What if when you had an emergency, you could not call 911, but rather had to dial the number of the nearest fire station and without being able to look it up on your phone? <laughs> well, when I was a little kid, you had to do that. 911 yeah. was still, we didn't get 911 in Messina until like the Jeez. late 80s, something That's like that. And, and, even where, and even where our camp was, um, didn't have a 911 operating until like the mid to late 90s. Emily's going to give you a lot of shit about your age on that one. Is that okay? I could care less, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying 911 to, to you and people younger than you. It's just, oh, we've always had that. But you're right. Like, it was not always no. a thing. That's Before, I mean, even uh, my friend James mentioned that in his one episode. Yeah. Uh, the Caesar's Palace fire? No, Is that what it was? No. Um, damn it. We even went there. It was a no, Vegas. It was, it was a Vegas fire. Yum, Jim Grand. Yes, uh, but he said, but we were doing the research that they literally had to call directly to yep. the fire station. Mm-hmm. And this is in 1983 something. or four I or forget something like the year. that. But yeah, 911 hasn't always been around. The uniform number meant that emergency calls would be answered by a dispatcher, the information taken, yep. and then passed yeah. by phone to the nearest fire stations. It's not yeah, a perfect the, system. The bad information is going to a central place. Right. And that central place will know who to re- relay it to. Mm-hmm. It's not a perfect system, but one that is similar to what is still done today, except now it is done by radio. All of this would help make the citizens of Berlin safer and ease some of the lingering resentment between the Germans and their occupiers. So there you have it, all bad things family. Now you know the tale of the deadliest fire in Germany since World War II. As we head out into this brave new world of quarantines and isolations, remember to take care of yourselves and each other mm-hmm. from a safe distance away, of course. Your friend, Lee Hutch. Yes. That was Excellent. so damn good. How well done. Raise your hands if you think Lee should have his own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. That was he could do a history so one. well done. Yes. That was amazing. Speaking of history, I do want to brush up one thing. I I said earlier Uh that uh, when the Reichstag fire had happened, that's how the Nazis came into power. Mm -hmm. That's slightly true. Okay. They were already in power before that, but because Germany had a parliamentary system, they were not the majority. Um, So politically, party-wise, Right. They used the Reichstag fire to blame it on the communists and seize power that way. Mm. So. So it helped... Them rise to power. It's a major catalyst like, historical event for a reason. Gotcha. It's how they it's how they went from being somewhat in power to being the power. Mm. So you know what I think we might need to do after I mean it is gonna be a while. Like we're talking probably a year, a year and a half, two years before things are starting to really get back to normal i mean not even economically speaking but like (laughs) economically speaking we're fucked like well for a a bit yeah yes um let's just 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 understand that now and it'll be a harsher lesson six months from now when it's this is bad Mm. but um when like we're able to travel, and people may now roam about the 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 globe freely. I think it would be awfully fun to go to Texas because we have a number of listeners located in Texas, including our friend Lee, and I. I thought Lee was in Louisiana. No, he's from Louisiana. Lee's oh, in Texas. Are you sure? Lee, think, am I right? I think he's in Louisiana. No, I don't think he no? is. I think he's in Texas. Oh, okay. Oh, Lee, which one of us is right? I guess we'll <laughs> He'll find let out. us know. Yes. 
I believe he's from Louisiana and he's made mention of his thick Louisiana accent before. But at any rate, um, I think we should go to the Deep South. I well, don't think I, Texas is technically the Deep South, but at any rate. Well, there's metropolitan. I mean, I've been wanting to go to Texas for a long time. We've, I've never been. If uh, if the Bills-Cowboys game had not been on fucking Thanksgiving this past year, <laughs> that is that, that is the game me and my buddy Brandon had earmarked to go to. We were going to go to Dallas. But I think maybe we should go and meet. I think after this, we need to start meeting some of our friends. I agree. Some of our all bad friends. Yeah. Except they're good friends. Yeah. <laughs> And Lee's up there. Absolutely. On the top of the list of people to meet, because I think Lee is a pretty interesting and cool dude. Yeah. And this was an amazing script, Lee. It was. It was a great story. That was and it was so fascinating. I need to get better at that, presenting something as a story. So He told... It, yeah. You can tell he's a... Well... We're not professional authors. We're not. We've never profe- professed to be. But I have. I've done quite a bit of writing in my you lifetime. You have, and you're a very good writer. Lee I, has written books. He has <laughs> novels. I, I think that's how I. I think that's how I tried to. Uh, I don't know if it came across this way. I think that's how I tried to piece the miracle on ice oh, episode yes. together as more of a story than. Yes, a, absolutely. This is not to discount. Again, again I. I don't think I succeeded, but anyway. No, no, no. This is not to discount your or anybody else's. No, I'm not work. an offer. 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 I'm not an offer. <laughs> I'm not an offer. <laughs> Professionally. I'm a f- professional <laughs> <Yes>. offer. <laughs> I'm not that oh, either. We're deteriorating so poorly right now, but um, but that was a. You can tell that was written by somebody who does this. For a living. For a living, mm-hmm. yes. And or actually he does has, it on the side. Uh, right? That's, that's his side that's, job is his yeah. novels that he pours hours and hours and hours and hours and countless hours into. That's the thing is you can tell when somebody has worked incredibly hard at something. Lee has obviously worked incredibly hard at telling a good story and he does a damn good yes, he does. job of it. Yes, he does. So once again, make sure to buy if you have not already so others may live there you go there's the first page um buy lee hutch if only i I mean if you don't have money right this moment we get it like that's totally understandable if you do if you're in an industry that i mean like is not horribly hurting as a result of what's going on right now and you've got a few bucks to throw at something buy lee's book you can buy it physical like a physical copy or you can buy an ebook um or even an audiobook so please do support our friendly but maybe one day we'll put out my audio from the first <laughs> chapter and you can just have the first we'll put chapter it out unedited <laughs> You got a little frustrated there a couple but, times. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I get, because ser- you're I get an serious artiste. about. I get serious about certain certain things have to That's be a right. certain way. That's right. Well, you were you were really trying because you knew it was a good work, and a good authorial work. That's not a. Literary. That's what I to say. I, was, I thought you were trying to say authoritarian. Maybe no, no, it's like, no. Definitely not that either. A good literary work. <laughs> so. And 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 do remember um, our all bad our all bad friends. If you need anything from us, yes. if you need food, clothing, whatever if you, need, you money, need, if you need, oh, like we are here, reach out to us. In all seriousness, yeah. I know we've said this in the last couple, but we we are dead serious. If you need something, let us know. We will make it happen for you. Even toilet paper, we got some rolls we can spare. We probably need to hang on to that, but anyway. <laughs> 
We didn't, we didn't intentionally hoard it. You bought that 24 pack. It like, was, it was like completely two weeks, accidental. Like two weeks before this thing happened. So we're off the hook on that one. You know, it's hard to know how long this year has been. It feels like it's been 27 years in the past three. It has not felt like a quarter. The first quarter of the year just ended today. Remember how optimistic we all were at the beginning of 2020? Uh, like, this I've, 2020, we all see clearly. Fuck you, 2020. Pretty much. Oh, but thank you, Lee. Yes. N- no fuck yous to Lee. All thank yous. That was a very well told story was, and so interesting. Absolutely well and done. And so terrible. Mm-hmm. But with some really good results. So there was that. Yeah. So that was the Karlsloost Dance Hall Fire. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I am David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.